Today we're closing out our series, at least on Sunday mornings, of uh, our sermon series called Scandal. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we've been taking a look at the greatest scandal to ever take place, and that is that our Lord and Savior was put to death. And so far, if you remember, we've seen lying, we've seen betrayal, uh, we've seen the pastors plotting murder, and today we look at a different aspect uh, to this scandal, and that is that Jesus caused a scandal when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday claiming to be king when the Roman Empire was currently the king. 30 AD, the Roman Empire pretty much owned any piece of property known to man. The the empire was huge, uh, including Jerusalem, which if you remember, Jerusalem was in the land of Canaan, uh, between the Mediterranean Sea, the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, and the Dead Sea down here. That strip of land was called the Holy Land, the land of Canaan. It was a land that 1,000 B.C., A thousand years before Jesus was born, the the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, uh, owned. That was their kingdom. And King David, who was the greatest king for the Jewish people, he was on the throne. And God promised David that one one of his descendants, somebody from David's line, would rule on his throne forever. He would establish his kingdom and rule forever. And since a thousand B.C., the Jewish people have been looking forward to this king. They've been looking forward to this king to come and set up his throne. And now they look around Jerusalem and what do they see? Romans. Everywhere. Romans who impose a high tax on them. Romans who treat them like a second-class citizen. Romans who are just a burden to them. What they wanted more than anything... What they could not wait for was the day that their king came into Jerusalem and overthrew the Roman government, took that burden off of their shoulders, and they could live free. They could have their kingdom back. All their sorrows would be gone. We don't have the Roman government over us and and, and as our burdens, but we definitely have burdens in life, don't we? And wouldn't it be great if a king would come and he took all of those burdens away? Wouldn't it be great if a king came and set up a government where uh, we wouldn't have any debt? He'd take all our debt away. Wouldn't it be great if we had a king that food was free because the king could just make food just by speaking? Wouldn't it be great... If a king came and he took all of our medication away because he just healed us, your allergies, gone. Your blood pressure medication, gone. Everything would be okay because this king would, would take it all away. Wouldn't it be great if he set up a kingdom that was safe and secure? We wouldn't have to worry about terrorists or people who cause fear like the Austin bomber. Wouldn't it be great if he set up a kingdom where it would be okay and you would feel completely safe to let your kids walk to school just a few houses down? Wouldn't that be great? All of these are burdens that we can't do ourselves. They're on us. We have to eat. We have to work to have food. We have to take medication so that we're healthy. We, we have to take precautions so that our kids are safe. These are all things we have to do, and we can't overcome them on our own. And it would be fantastic if a king would come and set up his kingdom here 
and take all that burden off of us. So we can live free, sorrow-free, pain-free. This was the type of king that the Jewish people were looking for. They were looking for this king to come in and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, overthrow the Romans, and set up this kingdom of glory. And on Palm Sunday, that king rode into Jerusalem. We're in Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1 today. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem for a Jewish festival called the Passover. It was celebrated once a year, and and every Jew who could make it to Jerusalem traveled to Jerusalem, even up to 100 miles. They would travel long distances to get to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover, this festival. I've read that the population in Jerusalem uh, on a normal day was about 40,000. But during the festival, it expanded to 250,000. That's how many Jews traveled to Jerusalem. And if there are that many Jews there, guess who's also there? The Romans. Because they have to make sure there's no riots. They have to make sure that the people stay under control. And so, thinking as a Jewish person, you're in Jerusalem, you're there for this special festival, you're so excited, and every street corner that you turn around, there's a Roman soldier. You go to the marketplace, Roman soldier. You go to the temple, Soldiers outside the temple. Romans everywhere. And it is a constant reminder that this burden is on them. It's a constant reminder of how this isn't what it's supposed to be. And they longed for the day that this king would come. If you want kind of an illustration for it, it's like when you get up in the morning and you're on medication for a little bit and you have to take those pills... And every single day you take it, uh, you don't want to, and you long for the day that you're healthy and you don't have to take it anymore. Kind of similar. You look around, Romans everywhere. It's a constant reminder that they're not free people. And they long for the day that their king would come. And it's for this festival, this Passover, that Jesus and his disciples are heading up to Jerusalem to celebrate it. His 12 followers. And they get to a town called Bethphage up on the mountain of, Mount of Olives. In, in Scripture, whenever you read that they went up to Jerusalem, uh, it's because Jerusalem was on the top of a mountain. That's where it's located. No matter what side you come from, you're traveling up a mountain to get to Jerusalem. And so they're traveling up the Mount of Olives, and as you're traveling up this mountain, you pass all these villages built into the side of of this mountain. And one of them is Bethphage, just about a mile outside of Jerusalem. And so as they're approaching, Jesus says, hey, two of my disciples, go into Bethphage, Bethphage, and you're going to find a donkey and a colt there. Untie him, bring him to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs him. And we know from other Gospels, it happened. They walked in, they started untying the donkeys, And the owner says, hey, what are you doing untying my donkeys? And they said, the Lord needs them. Great, take them. (laughs) 
It's incredible, isn't it? Imagine being one of those disciples going into Bethphage, and you walk and you see, huh, there's a donkey with her colt. And you start untying it, and someone says to you, hey, what are you doing with those donkeys? The Lord needs them. Great, take them. It's crazy. But Jesus is God. He knows everything. He knows everything that is going to happen in your life. He knows the future. He knows the past. He knows everything that is going to happen because He is God. And what Jesus also knew is that it was time to enter Jerusalem as king and conquer. And He was going to He was going to do it in a way that the Jewish people would recognize that He was claiming to be king. And that is He was going to ride on a donkey. Why? Because the Old Testament said this is what's going to happen. Here's what we're told. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. These words come from Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet, uh, a pastor in 520 B.C., so 500 years before Jesus was even born, these words were spoken about Jesus. And ever since these words were spoken, the Jewish people were looking for their king to come on a donkey. They would tell their kids, hey, the king, uh, David's son, who's going to sit on the throne, he's going to come in on a donkey. Don't know how, don't know why, he's going to come in on a donkey. And they looked for it, and they looked for it. And so Jesus knew that when he got on this donkey and started riding into Jerusalem, the people were going to know exactly what he was claiming, claiming to be king. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because you wouldn't exactly picture a king, a, a conquering king, one that's going to go to war to ride in on a donkey. How do you picture it? Probably with a chariot? Maybe with a scepter in hand, royal robes, a crown, gold crown, uh, maybe with a large army coming to conquer. And yet our king rides in as promised on a donkey, humble, in normal clothes, riding into Jerusalem. And here's what happens next. First, your first point today. The king was coming as promised. Just like the Old Testament promised he would, he came. Here's what happened. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So just picture the scene here for a moment. Jesus is in Bethphage, and the disciples bring him this donkey. And he gets on the donkey. And the Jews in Bethphage know exactly what Jesus is claiming. And so they start to follow Jesus. And some of the people from their group run ahead to Jerusalem to say, you won't believe it. Jesus is riding a donkey coming up into Jerusalem. You know what this means. 
The king is coming. And so a large group from Jerusalem comes out. And pretty soon thousands and thousands of people line the road for this parade for the king to enter into Jerusalem. People are laying their cloaks on the ground, which they would do for a king. They cut palm branches down and laid it on the ground. This was the red carpet for Jesus to enter Jerusalem. And people are shouting. They're screaming. And they're singing. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Do you know the only other time that Hosanna is said in the New Testament? At least in the Gospels? The night Jesus was born. Hasn't been said since then. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means the Lord, or save now. And so what are the Jewish people saying? Save now, Jesus. Our King has come to save us now. He's entering to conquer the Romans. No more taxes, no more burden, no more second class citizens. He's come to save now. This is great. The only question now is how is he going to do it? And when is he going to do it? Is he going to just say, be gone Romans, and then they disappear? Is he going to call in a bunch of angels and and destroy them? How is he going to do it? When is he going to do it? This is great. But the problem is, and maybe you already know the problem, and it's your second point today, Jesus wasn't the king they thought he was. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem that day to conquer the Romans. He could have, right? Because Jesus has all power. He's he's the perfect, holy God who can do anything. He could have said, be gone, Romans, and they disappear. He could have said, obey me, and every single person would have had to obey him. He could have demanded respect. He could have demanded honor. He could have demanded glory. And yet he didn't. He didn't, because that's not the type of king he was. In the same way, he could do that for our life, couldn't he? He could say, be gone, debt. He could say, be gone, health problems. Be gone, fear. Be gone, anxiety and, uh, and worry. Be gone, all of our problems and sorrows. He could do that. But that's not the type of king he is. That's not the type of king he was. And soon the Jewish people realized this. In fact, a couple days after Jesus rode into Jerusalem, they realized this. And what did they do to him? Killed him. Because he wasn't the king they thought he was. And so my question is, how do we react when Jesus isn't the king we thought he was? We see it in church sometimes, don't we? People start coming to church and and they love it at first and, and they're so excited to get close to Jesus, to know Jesus. But then all of a sudden they realize, Jesus isn't taking my problems away. I still have sorrows. I still have pains. He's not healing me. He's not uh, taking any of my sorrows away. And so they leave him. Not to come back. But how do we respond? How do we respond when Jesus isn't the king we maybe want him to be? The the king to take all of our burdens away. We start to add things to Jesus, don't we? 
We don't necessarily like to say we, we turn our backs on him because we don't. We still come to church on Sunday morning, but it, it, we say, Jesus, I'm going to pray to you to take all my, all my sorrows away. And we spend a few days doing that. And as soon as he doesn't, what do we do? Jesus, thanks for trying. You must not be all powerful or you just don't love me enough to take this away. So I'm going to go over here to get my problems fixed. And what do we turn to? Depending on what it is, right? Substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, uh, maybe illegal, unethical things to get us out of debt. And then, when those things work, when they get us out of our problems, when they help us in our marriage, when they help us in our problems, what do we do? We say, Jesus, thanks, but these things help me. You're not the king I thought you were. And we start to slowly turn our backs on Jesus. Just like the Jewish people did. We go from cheering Jesus to saying thanks for trying. But Jesus did come to conquer, didn't he? When he rode into Jerusalem that day, he did come to conquer. He was a king, and he was a victorious king. He just wasn't conquering the enemy we wanted him to. Instead, and it's your third point today, the humble king conquered the enemy that mattered. Could Jesus have conquered the Romans? and conquer all of our sorrows. Absolutely. He could conquer them at any moment. And yet, Jesus didn't come to conquer those sorrows because our sorrows are are really just a a surface-level problem. What is our real problem, our real enemy, is deeper than that. Each and every one of us is consumed and dominated by sin. It's deep with inside each and every one of us. And all of our problems, bad health, uh, money problems, not knowing what to do with the future, uh, fear, not being secure, those are all results of sin. And so if Jesus came and He he took away all of our sorrows and our pains and He set up a kingdom where uh, we could go to Him for anything, we'd still have a problem, wouldn't we? Sin would still be there. It would essentially be like Jesus came and pulled out a weed, but only got the top level. And so you know what's going to happen is that a week later, uh, that weed's going to sprout right back up because the root is still there. Jesus came to deal with the root of all of our problems, and that is sin. That's what He came to conquer. And so when he rode into Jerusalem that day on Palm Sunday, he rode in as a conquering king. And he ascended a throne. Not a wooden throne decorated for a king, but his wooden throne of a cross reserved for criminals. He went and he was going to be crowned a king, not with a crown of gold, but with a crown of thorns. And through it, he would set up a kingdom more glorious than any kingdom that we have ever seen or ever will see, and that is the kingdom of heaven. That Sunday, Jesus rode in, and he was going to conquer, and he conquered sin on that Friday. Five days later, when he died on the cross, uh, he conquered every sin in your life, uprooted it completely. Guilt is no longer 
Yours. Jesus has paid for it. Guilt is a result of sin. Death is a result of sin. Conquered. Conquered. Your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus has set up this kingdom of glory and when He died on the cross, you now are a citizen of that kingdom where one day you will live completely pain-free, completely sorrow-free. Your kids can walk the streets of heaven and you don't even have to see them because you know that they're going to come back to you safely. They're not going to get lost. They're not going to get taken because there is no sin there. And that's yours because Jesus rode up in Jerusalem that day to conquer sin. And so as we go this week, as we travel with Jesus to the cross, I want you to keep two things in mind. One, heaven isn't here. Jesus didn't set up His kingdom of heaven here, so you're going to have problems in life. I'm going to have problems in life. That's just the reality of, of living in a sinful world. But number two, know that Jesus conquered sin for you. He gave up His power. He gave up His glory. And He humbly rode on a donkey up to Jerusalem to die so that you can have heaven. It's because of what He did that you know that your last breath here on earth is your first breath forever in His kingdom of glory where you will be free from all the burdens that are on you forever. It's an amazing love that our King has for us. And it's that amazing love that we're going to sing about in just a little bit. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? But that's the amazing love that Jesus has for you. May God be with you this week as you travel with Him to the cross and to the empty tomb. As you travel with your King, see His love and be amazed by it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are the King of the world. And we thank you that you set aside all of your glory and you humbly went to the cross for us. Thank you for riding into Jerusalem that day. And as the people cheered, uh, you were probably tempted to not go and die, but to be the king they wanted you to be. But we thank you for being the king we needed, the king that conquered our enemy that really mattered. Be with us this week. Help us to focus on what you did. Uh, Not to pity you, not to feel sorry, but more out of thanks and being amazed by the love that you have for each and every one of us. Amen.